and welcome to the Essential Property Podcast with your hosts, Paul Samuda and Amanda Woodward. With 45 years of combined experience in the world of property buying, selling, investing and developing, they are here to share with you their knowledge in the Stoke-on-Trent, Newcastle-under-Lyme and Crew property market. Let's get started. Welcome to episode 10 of the Essential Property Podcast, where we discuss all things property related within the Crewe, Stoke and Newcastle areas of the country. The podcast is directed at landlords, investors, agents, or anyone new to the area and thinking of investing in residential or commercial real estate. My name is Paul Samuda, and I'm pleased to have with me today Shif Haria of Lifestyle Property People, a successful sourcing business based in Leeds. They provide a highly developed sourcing service to UK and overseas-based investors. Now, before my usual listeners freak out and think we've lost our way, we are interviewing two sourcing companies, one local, which will be the next episode, but we've purposely gone out of the area to get a broader perspective on sourcing and how that has evolved for a company like Lifestyle Property People. So Shiv, welcome. Good to have you on the show. Haven't spoken to you for a while, uh, a little bit because of pandemic and stuff, but I know things are booming in your part of the world in Leeds. Just to say, I mean, for me, Shiv's claim to fame is actually, I don't know whether I've told you this, but I don't know whether you ever saw the Maroon 5 video where they Mm -hmm. went around LA bombing people's weddings. And I think I saw your proposal to your wonderful wife and it was second, the video was second to the Maroon 5 video. So that's your claim to fame in my world outside of property. But good to have you on, on the podcast. Why don't you kick off and give a little bit of an introduction in terms of how you got into property and then thereafter into the sourcing business? Yeah, sure. So back in 2012 time, I got into a bit of, after doing a grad scheme at an IT company, I was thinking about my, my future and I thought, this is a great job, but I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And so I went traveling for a little bit. And whilst I was traveling, unfortunately, I got a call from my brother and he said, your mum's had a heart attack, you need to come home. So in 2013, I came home. And over the next year or so, I started to think about, well, if my mum's had a heart attack and she wasn't working, how could I help her financially? What's the ways that we could do that? And of course, quite quickly, I came across the idea of investments, of property investments, and, you know, a little bit of Googling. And before you know it, all the ads that I was seeing was for um, one of the property courses. So my wife and I did, at the time, she was my girlfriend, actually. So at the time, we did some conversations about what we should do. And we went to one of these courses. And of course, you're never supposed to get something. But in the first one, I said to her, I'm not moving. And she said, I'm going to go do it. In the second one, she said, I'm not moving. And I said, oh, I'm going to definitely go and do this. So we got sold the uh, course, came out the other end, uh, having spent thousands of pounds on on property courses, but feeling quite optimistic about the future. And we then had a choice of mentors. And Paul Samuda, our host here, was the mentor that we selected. And in fact, the reason why we selected you, I don't remember, Paul, was because you had multiple businesses. So it wasn't just that you had a property business, but you also had other businesses. And at the time, my family had a business. And so I thought it'd be great to work with somebody who had that kind of breadth of experience. Um, And you were also a little bit more experienced than some of the other guys on the team. But yeah, that's basically how I got into it. And then we started buying a couple of properties in 2014 and 15. And obviously, I was, I'm a Facebook generation kid. So I was posting all this stuff on Facebook, and before you know it, people are saying, well, what are you doing out there in Leeds? Why are you even bothering? What are you doing in Leeds? And I said, oh, well, we're buying these houses. They're giving us great returns. 
And before you know it, people were asking us to help them buy houses as well, to invest in property. So we started in helping one or two people. And before you know it, we started to charge for it because it was quite a lot of work. And in 2016, January of 2016, we decided to set up Lifestyle Property People as a property sourcing company to help other people, specifically people that are outside of Leeds to invest in the Leeds property market. Okay, that's fantastic. And I think just to add to that, I think one of the the best decisions you made was deciding to move to the investment area, which is coming from good old London. I always say that London's London has struggled to go north of Watford. Quite simply said, I'm serious about this. Let me move into Leeds. And that was obviously a fantastic decision. Now, I'm interested about the name that you chose for the business, Lifestyle Property People. How did that come about? So we were sitting in a car me and my then business partner driving up to Leeds and we were thinking of names for the company. And we didn't know where, we had ended up on basically whether to use Horizon or Lifestyle. And just to be clear, at the start, we started off as a letting agent because we thought, oh, well, if we're a letting agency, properties will come to us, clients will come to us and we'll figure out a way to do the sourcing between. It turned out that we chose Lifestyle, which was in hindsight, a fantastic decision because what we're offering to our clients and to ourselves and to our, our employees ultimately is, a lifestyle solution here. We feel pretty big about the fact that all of life is shaped around your lifestyle, including your work. And within a few months, we realized that a letting agency was not the kind of business we wanted to be in. And we started doing the um, sourcing company instead of the letting agency. So that's basically how we came to be. It was lifestyle lettings to start with for about two months, then lifestyle investments for another two months. And then we went and did a rebrand of branding. We paid loads of money for it, actually, which at the time I thought was a complete waste of money. And they came up with lifestyle property people. And we said, why lifestyle property? Because it's lifestyle. Fair enough. That's the name we had anyway. Property is what you do. It's always important to tell people what you do. And then people, because there was at the time, there was four of us. So there's two co-founders and then two partners, four of us that were in the business. And we we wanted to be people. We wanted to be people-focused, people-facing, approachable kind of company that can, and obviously professional, but actually approachable is quite important. So that's why we established ourselves as lifestyle property people. Great, great, wonderful names. Obviously, done very well for you as well. I don't think there's any sort of podcast or interview that doesn't talk about the pandemic or, or, or COVID. So it's been what a good year and a half since we first went into lockdown back in March 2020. Uh, a lot of things have happened on the property side of things. I'm pleased to say, mainly good. But just to share with the listeners, what what's been your experience during the lockdown? And since we've started to come out of lockdown, we had Freedom Day. A couple of days ago, someone said to me, same crap, different packaging, which I thought was quite <laughs> hilarious. But what's been your experience during this whole pandemic? So I think the overall experience has been an excellent experience of overcoming adversity. And just to kind of understand what that means, I remember a day, must have been something like March 23rd, 2020. And we were just about to go into lockdown. We were just went into lockdown. And I had a wobbly moment. I thought, what's going to happen to our business? Is this it? Is this the thing that's going to take our business down? And bear in mind that I'd, in, in January 2019, I bought out our business partners. So actually, I'd taken the risk. And a year later, we're in this big pandemic thing. And I remember thinking to myself, something that my co-founder used to say to me when we started. He said, I didn't come this far to only come this far. And I it, it, honestly, it was a with just one afternoon, I was sat there and I thought to myself, no, I didn't come this far to only come this far. This pandemic is not going to define me. And I thought, if I'm going to make it out of this, I am a leader. I need to lead. Because obviously, at this point, we were employing, I don't know, 10 people. I need to lead my team out of this. 
And I set up a call, a team call on a Thursday morning. And I basically gave the team a pep talk. I said, we're going to make out of this. We're not going to be a casualty of this pandemic. And it was a little bit of kind of fake hope from my perspective to start with. But you know what? The more you start to say something, the more you believe it. And I put into place a program of increasing our branding and our our marketing to make people aware that we exist because I knew that we had an, an excellent product, something that everybody would want if only we could get the name out there. And very quickly, I started to come up with reasons why a pandemic is a perfect opportunity for people to invest. I mean, ultimately, during a pandemic, people are sat at home. So they've finally got the time to not be at work, to be thinking about their finances, to be rethinking about their long-term investment plans. There was also some talk about, oh, people are going to get made redundant. And so there's people that are thinking, oh, hold on, my job might not be as secure as I thought it was. Maybe there's an opportunity for me to create an additional income stream and not just an opportunity. Maybe there's a necessity for me to create an additional income stream elsewhere. Um, And all these reasons played them to clients or prospective clients. They were saying, yeah, do you know, that's me. I'm I'm in that boat. That's exactly why I'm doing it. So we had that moment of wobble, but actually very quickly after that, we recovered. I recovered the team and we all basically did a massive job of promoting ourselves, getting ourselves out there. And we found that was within about four months, we got enough business to last us over a year. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Was there any sort of, I mean, you've probably answered the question already, but I was going to say, was there any sort of retrenchment or skepticism on behalf of your prospective clients or existing clients that were looking to expand their portfolio? Did they have a bit of a wobble? No. So, I think the thing that helped that is what we provide is an intern service. So we don't just say, here's a property, see you later. We do the intern service. And when we do that, we talk a lot about, well, what are you trying to achieve? What's the end goal for you? And the fact is that the end goal hasn't changed. The end goal is whether I want to create a legacy for my children, I want to create a retirement plan for myself, or I want to buy myself some freedom, whatever it is, that end goal is still there. The fact that we have a pandemic, yes, there's a couple of people that think they might be a little bit more squeezed than they otherwise would have been. But actually, as long as they can get a mortgage, the money that they had to put in is still the money that they have to put in. And so they wanted to go ahead. What we did do, though, having built that trust, is we offered effectively, if anyone that came to us and said, look, we're having second thoughts, we said, no problem, take a refund. If this is not right for you, take a refund. Uh, Think about what I'm trying to say here. I'm saying that on one hand, we were signing up people left, right and centre. And on the other hand, if people were getting wobbly, previous clients were getting wobbly, we were like, fantastic. This is a great opportunity for us to effectively replace one client with another client and be the good guy by giving them their money back and serving another client, which sure. we otherwise couldn't have served for another two, three months. We're never in the position to, or we never wanted to be the people that you know took people's money for no reason. So although our contracts were written to say, once you paid the fee, that's it, we were very happy to, if you felt that this was not for you or you were uncomfortable, and I think for one person, we even gave them back their money. Here you go, have your money back, no problem. But for most people, we reminded them about what the long-term goal was, and that doesn't change. Brilliant. Now, in hindsight, now we can all sit here as property people, but there were landlords or investors, and say the property market has actually boomed through the pandemic. And I say that with a certain amount of sensitivity of a lot of businesses that haven't had a good time through the pandemic and people have been made redundant and and businesses have shut down. But fortunately for us, it's been quite an uplift because of stamp duty, help from a chancellor, people have still been paid through furlough, etc. From a sourcing standpoint, because, you know, when I go out and speak to agents, properties have been purchased over asking price. They're on the shelves for a day or two and then they're sold. People can't get enough of the stuff. 
how does that affect the sourcing business? How does that affect, you know, generally sourcing generally and your business specifically? So I think it all comes down to what are you offering and what's the client looking for? And what we're offering is different to, I think, what most sourcing companies offer. What we're ultimately offering is an end-to-end service. Our clients are typically based in London. We're buying properties in Leeds. That's a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour journey if you're lucky. And so for most of our clients, they just didn't want to do because they can't, they're out of the time, they can't be bothered. They didn't want to come up to Leeds. That's what they ultimately didn't want. And what that means, if you can't come up to Leeds, you won't know the areas, you won't know what to buy. You'll then have to go through the purchase process. You probably don't have the team in place to do that. Then you've got to refurbish it. So you've got to find the builders, which you obviously can't do if you're not in Leeds. Uh, And then you've got to find a letting agent, which you can kind of do, but you know, most letting agents, to be fair, are crap. Uh, And so us having been through it and chosen the right letting agents was very important. So what we were offering was the end-to-end service. And for our clients, that was more important than whether they make a 7% return or an 8% return or a 6% return. That's a marginal difference. The other thing to mention is our clients are the type of people that um, have money sitting in the bank account. So money sitting in the bank account, and they know that interest rates are really low and may even be negative. And as a result, they just need to get the money out of the bank account working for them rather than doing nothing, especially when you then add in the fact that we have all these stimulus packages that leads to inflation, which means that over the next decade, your £50,000 in the bank is going to go down in value, in real value, real terms. So what they needed was they needed to put that money into something that is inflation proof, something that increases in line with inflation at the very least. And that's what they were looking for. Now, if you add to that, we're going to not just increase in line with inflation, but we're going to put it into an area that's actually going to grow because of structural factors. That's almost a no-brainer. And then you add to that, oh, well, on top of that, you're also going to get a great rental return. Then it's like, well, of course I should do this. And add to that, by the way, all you have to do is three things. Sign the documents, transfer the money, and confirm that the rent has been received. Outside of that, we take care of everything. So For them, it's a very easy process. It's streamlined, it's it's, um, seamless. And all they've got to do is a couple of bits and they get their money working for them harder than it is currently working. So I think it has been obviously a little bit more challenging than usual to try and find the deals, but it all comes down to what our clients are looking for and what we're offering to them. Brilliant. Now, I do a top 20 mistakes for new investor presentations when I'm doing my dog and pony show. And one of them on there is do your due diligence on sourcing agents. And I have a picture of a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. yeah? And, and like in all sectors, there are good sourcing agents and, and bad sourcing agents. Now for new investors, and we have a number of listeners that are both local in the UK and also overseas. And we've ended up managing their properties because and seen the refurb that they've done seen what they've sourced and unfortunately there's been instances where they have been taken advantage of because of the, because of the distance when you have a new investor come to you and i know you've mentioned that a lot of your investors come from the south of the country how do you view a new investor are they fresh meat is it a long-term relationship do you handhold them what are the sort of things that you take them through you know to reassure that you're the right company to do business with I think this is an excellent question. And I think that more people need to be doing this. The first thing that we do with every single person that comes our way is we qualify them rather than trying to fling our services at everybody and hope that some of it sticks. What we're really doing is we're very niche. We know exactly who our client is and we qualify every single client that comes to us and say, 
do they meet the criteria to be our client? Because we know that if they do, then they're going to think that our service is absolutely amazing. It's the best thing since sliced bread, and they're going to have a great service with us. We're going to have an enjoyable time working with them. If they don't qualify, then something's probably going to be wrong. They're probably going to get annoyed about it. They're probably going to think that they've been taken for all these kind of things. I'll give you an example that will help your listeners to understand. And this is an example, a real example that I tell to all of our clients. I say to them that you can go to the showroom and you can buy a Nissan or you can buy a Tesla. The Nissan's 20 grand, the Tesla's 50 grand. Why the hell would anyone pay 30 grand more for a Tesla when both cars will take you from A to B, both cars can come in an electric version or a petrol version or whatever, and both cars have five doors and five seats or four seats or whatever, four doors and four seats. Why would anyone pay 30 grand more for a Tesla? And we are what we call the Tesla of sourcing companies. We provide that extra layer of service. What our clients get from us is the end-to-end service, the responsibility to make the entire thing work for them. If anything goes wrong, we will solve that problem for them. They can help and they can get involved as much as they like, but ultimately they're relying on us to solve that problem. And mostly what you're buying when you buy into any of these kind of sourcing companies is you're buying the trust. So I think one of the important things that we do is, as I said earlier, we qualify and the qualification is based around money. So how much money do you have available to invest? The uh, time involvement from them. The reason why we choose Southern investors from London is because they don't, the clients that we get don't have the time to go to Leeds. If, If there's a client that lives in Leeds that want us to source for them, we'd say to them, look, you're probably better off served by somebody that lives in Leeds. That's just, we're not the right company for you. And the final one is return on investment expectation. Going back to this, our, our services offer a return on investment somewhere between 6 and 10%. Some people will say, oh, that's too low. I want a 12% return. Fantastic. I'm really glad that you do. We're just not the right company to do that for you. You'll have to go and find another company to do that for you. Because, of course, you'll know this as well, Paul. Higher return does come with a higher risk. There is both sides of the coin that we need to consider. And what we're looking at for our clients is not just 6 to 10% returns, which by the way, for most people is an absolutely fantastic return, but it's also a lower risk than some of the other people out there that are willing to take. So we, the answer is we qualify. And I think that qualification needs to happen on both sides. So from the company, the sourcing company qualifying their clients, but also for the clients qualifying the company that they're working with, is this the right company for me? Does it fit my values? Are they offering what I want? If you want cheap and cheerful, go buy the Nissan. If you want service and status and end-to-end service, go buy the Tesla. Great comments there. So in terms of some of the common mistakes that investors tend to make when they are looking for a sourcer, and we've come across people that have just, especially people that live a long way away, they've sort of maybe too quick to trust. So they find a builder, they find a sourcing agent. Sometimes they say, look, we'll do the project management for you. And we get involved because they're looking for someone to let that HMO or that SA project. So we get involved at that point. We walk in and we say, what happened to the refurb? Did they forget to finish it? And the investor overseas doesn't see the end product or just sees pictures of the things that have been done, but not some of the other things. Yeah. We walk into one property, right? And there was still wallpaper on the ceiling that had just been painted over. Now, what sort of tips would you give a an investor who decides that they're going to go to either yourselves or, or any other sourcing agent? And what sort of due diligence should they do? What sort of questions should they ask throughout the life of the project if they're doing the uh, refurb thereafter? 
any sort of tips that you'd get? Yeah, I think that this is the sort of tips for if you're buying anything, I, th- I think. First of all, you've got to know yourself. You've got to know who you are and what you're, what you're after. Are you the person that wants to buy the cheapest possible price? If you are, then you want to go to that company that's going to give you the cheapest possible price. Are you that person that says, actually, what I really want is I want convenience. I will pay for convenience. And that's what our clients are. They say, do you know what? I'm going to pay extra money so that Shiv deals with this and I don't have to deal with any of this stuff. They don't have to do anything except for those three things that I mentioned earlier. So first is know who you are. Uh, Secondly is, of course, as I just mentioned about having similar values and not just the values that people write on their social media or the website, because they've got to live and breathe those values. The way that we do this is at the end of every service for our clients, we do a, a, a feedback call, a close off call, and we say to our clients, What are the three words that you would use to describe our service? That's all we ask them, three words. And the same three words come up again and again. That has to be our values because those are the same words that are coming up again and again. It's not something that we've invented, oh, these are our values. It's what's coming up when people are dealing with us. Those are the things that are our values. So if you have the same values, you won't go wrong. And the important thing, I think, is not just to have the same values as the salesperson, because the salesperson wants to sell you something. Mm-hmm. Have the same value as the delivery people, as the company that's doing the stuff for you. Uh, I remember when I initially started out and I met people that were in sort of this sourcing business, I was very keen not to just talk to the guy that wanted to talk to me. I wanted to talk to the guy that was actually on the ground finding the properties. I wanted to know him and his background and his details because usually you do have the salesperson and the delivery arm. So it's the delivery people that I'm uh, really interested in. In terms of the due diligence, I think that we all know, so you've got to have some level of trust with the people that you're working with. But yes, of course, you need to do your own due diligence because at the end of the day, you're buying the thing. It's, it's your money, you're buying the property. So one thing to do is a quick, very quick, right move a Zoopla search. How much is the property that I'm buying? versus how much is the price that it's telling me on right move Zoopla. Now, of course, there might be some variance and that's okay. But if it's £50,000 variance, then you might want to do a bit more digging. If it's £3,000 variance, probably not. So, you know, it's more or less there. On that note, and I think you mentioned this earlier about prices have gone up over the pandemic. Again, it depends on what you're trying to achieve. If you're going to buy a portfolio of 10 properties, you've got to accept that there are going to be some properties that might be above you know, the the average price and some properties are going to be below the average price. And so as long as you continue to buy over time, because property prices were going to increase over over time, you'll have cost price averaging. So I think the point that I was trying to make there was whether you're paying £3,000 more than Zoopla says or £3,000 less than Zoopla says is, is neither here nor there. What are the due diligences there? On the rental side, what we always do at our end is rather than just telling the client, we think we can get £600 a month for this, we say that, but we always have that backed up from a letting agent, from two letting agents, actually. So we have two emails, and they're always emails from letting agents that say, yes, based on this information that you've given us, we believe we can rent it for this and this. And we always take the lower of the figures. They'll always give you a range, 625 to 650 or something like that. We'll always take the 625, not the 650. And it's because we're trying to under-promise. And in terms of due diligence, because our clients are based in the South, they can't come up to see the property or they usually don't have time to do any of that stuff. So due diligence around the company is, is the important bit to start. And then thereafter, when you get sent the information, just verifying that the information checks out. Now, if most of the information checks out and it sounds like a good company to work for and you've done the due diligence on the company as well, then you can probably consider that this is probably a good company. It's a good company. Everything sort of seems to check out. What you want to be looking at for is where are things different from what they said? Where, where are the, the anomalies and where are things not checking out? And if too many of those things start to stack up, that's when you know my ex-business partner used to say, that's when my spidey senses go. And if your spidey senses are going, you shouldn't be doing something. And I think something that's really going back to the awareness point about knowing who you are, 
we need to know who we are. We need to trust ourselves. If something inside us is telling us that we don't know whether this is right, we probably need to hold back a bit or ask a few more questions. On the flip side, if we're thinking, oh, this is a great deal, everything seems great, and I've asked all the questions that I need to, and it still seems great, then that's probably an okay deal to go for. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. Great tips there. Just another question to throw in. Do you think it's a good idea for investors when they work with sourcing agents to also use them to do the refurb on the property? I know it's easier for yeah. the one-stop shop, but do you think it's the best decision? Again, I think it comes down to what you're trying to achieve. I think with us, the way that we work is we do the refurb on behalf of our clients. Now, let's just understand what we're the concept of what we're talking about. Our clients are based in London. We're ba- we're finding properties for them in Leeds. If we didn't, they would have to go and find their own builders in Leeds and then try and figure out how they're going to manage that. And they don't want to get involved. So that's just not the service that we're offering. However, what we do is we're not the builders ourselves and we don't have a build team internally. We hire builders. We'll go and find builders to go and do these jobs. And then the price that they send to us, the invoice has the client's details on it. It doesn't have our details on it. So it's passed through. So there's full transparency in terms of what was done and how much it costs and all that stuff. And the great thing about how we work, which is one of our values, is we're very transparent. So we'll say, here's the pass-through and here's our fee because we have to get paid for doing extra work. So here's our project management fee and that's what we're doing. So is it a good idea? It depends on what you're trying to achieve. And for sourcing companies, how do they guarantee, in inverted commas, no such thing as a 100% guarantee, but let's use the word anyway, how do they guarantee the quality of a deal? And by that, I mean, if you say it's 10% below market value, it's 10% below market value after the refurb, if there is going to be a refurb, if the rental is supposed to be £1,000 a month, if it's an HMO or £500 a month, if it's a buy-to-let, how do they guarantee that those numbers stack up come completion, come the property being handed over? I think that this is why I think our model is quite powerful for investors, because not only are we doing the end-to-end for them, so they don't have to do anything themselves, but that means that we're then responsible for the end-to-end. So let's just understand what that means. We tell them on, at the beginning, oh, you buy this deal from us at £100,000, whatever, it's going to require an £8,000 refurb and it's going to rent for £700 or whatever. If they buy that deal and they go off and they do it themselves like a typical saucer would, then all of a sudden, whether it meets those numbers or not, is not up to me as the sourcer, it's now up to them. But if it comes out as a £10,000 refurb instead of £8,000, maybe they chose an expensive builder. Maybe the builder ripped them off. Likewise, if they were only able to rent it for 650 instead of 700, maybe they chose the wrong letting agent that didn't know what they were doing. So with our service, because it's an end-to-end service, we are responsible for making sure that the refurb is the number that we said it was, the lettings is the number that we said it was. And as a result, we figure this out pretty quickly at the very beginning because we're responsible for it. And of course, we can caveat it as much as we want. We can say our numbers can change and whatever. But regardless of the fact that it's still an estimate and numbers can change, if they do change, the client's going to say, hold on a second, that's not what you sold me. So it's in our interest to make sure that the numbers are correct and that stack up. And so from that perspective, we do our own due diligence to make sure that we're always under-promising and over-delivering. So not only will we make sure that, as I said earlier, we have two quotes for the lettings, we have two quotes for the refurb numbers, all of these kind of things to make sure that we know what the numbers are actually going to be. But as well as that, we do our own due diligence in terms of stress testing. So we'll stress test the mortgage interest rates. We'll stress Mm -hmm. test, well, actually, if we say it's going to be £700 rent, what happens if it's 650 You know, does that still work for us? 
and we'll make sure that that element of it works as well. What happens if the refurb goes over by 10% or 20%? Does that still work for us? And mm-hmm. I think the point is, again, if you say that most of our clients, and this may not be the same for you, the people listening on this podcast, but if our clients are looking for, in their own heads, an absolute minimum of 6% return, and we're offering them 7% return, and even if things go wrong, because we're under-promising and over-delivering, we know they're going to get 7 and we know that they expect 6 they're always going to be quitting. They're always going to be winning. So it's all about making sure that there's a good fit there, finding the people that that match the company that you are, finding people that have the same values as you, because then they will always do the same thing that you want to do. I think the advice that you give is excellent. I, I have asked questions from people that I either know that have bought new properties, not only in Stoke and Crew, but outside of the area. And I always ask this question after the event. What happened? Why has the project gone so wrong with this particular sourcing agent or as a result of the bill? And one investor was was relatively new. They had a couple of properties under the belt. But one of the things they said, he said, we were so excited about the deal. Yeah, yeah. We couldn't wait to start. So all the analysis and due diligence and asking the questions that you've laid out, which they should do, goes out the window. I just want to get the thing going. Yeah. yeah. So they'll send ten grand to a, to to a builder to start the work and never see that ten thousand pounds again. They'll forget to ask for weekly videos, weekly updates, and look at the schedule of works and tick things off to make sure that they've been done. Or to have someone locally, whether you know, to check that the sourcing agent is working with the builder. They, they forget about all that because they're so excited to get their four, five, six, seven bedroom HMO or buy to let completed that they end up with a bit of a hodgepodge of, 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 of a project. So I take the tortoise type effect. Let's just go slow and steady. Let's just do our work. There's no well, rush. Of course, this comes back to that point that I made earlier about knowing yourself. Okay, so there's, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to promote something on your podcast. There's a free Over. test that you can take. It's called the Genius U test, G-E-N-I-U-S-U, the letter U at the end. Go to Google, yeah. search it. And within about two minutes or three minutes of taking this test, it's a free test. It's four questions long or five questions long. You'll know which one of the four personality types you fit into. Now, look, we all know that we're going to be a mixture of all of them. We're not going to be one, but we are predominantly one. And what you need to know is that if you are a dynamo or a blaze personality, as per the test, then you're easy to sell to. You get excited quickly. You love people and people love you and you buy into people. So actually, for me, if I'm looking for clients for anything, if I was selling, I don't know, shoes or, or bicycles or whatever, I'd be looking for those people because those are, no offense to people that are listening to this, but those are the suckers, yeah? yeah. They're the, what we call early adopters. They're going to get in first and they're going to make all the mistakes. Then you have the people that are kind of tempo and steel. I'm a tempo. And again, I'm more, of, more than one of these, but predominantly a tempo. A tempo is the slow and steady one. The one that does consistency over going fast and making some silly mistakes. I am not an early adopter of anything, of technology or anything. I'm probably like an early majority, yeah, because I'm a bit of an entrepreneur, so I'm an early majority. Yeah. I'm not early adopter. The guy that's waiting outside the, um, you know, Apple store for seven hours, whatever, I'll say, tell me how it is. If it's any good, I'll go in the next day and I'll buy it for half the price or with no, no queue or whatever. If you know yourself and you know whether you're a dynamo or a blaze, you're easily sold to, you're a temper or a steel, you've got more questions, you're less easily sold to, you're probably going to wait until it's far too, what's the word, safe before you actually do anything. If you know that about yourself, when you are getting sold to, you'll know whether 
hold on a second, is this just me getting excited because I'm an excitable character? Or actually, if I'm getting excited and I'm a steel person, there must be something here because I'm the kind of person that does all my due diligence. And intuitively, you might know that about yourself, but if you don't, go and do this test. It takes you two minutes to do, and it will be life-changing for you because you'll know whether you're the person that gets easily sold to or not, and then you'll be able to do something about it. I think that's fantastic advice. And that was one of the main reasons I wanted you to come on to the podcast to share that sort of global input in terms of little tips that people can use. Knowing yourself is, is excellent, such an easy and straightforward way of assessing how you would approach a deal. So I really appreciate that. Really appreciate that. We're going we're gonna to wrap it up in, in, in the next minute or so. If you had to give one bit of advice, key advice for an investor who, let's say, look into a person in HMO and go through a sourcing agent, what would be that one piece of advice? You might want to stretch it to two, but ideally one piece one. of advice that you would give them. One, and this is personal experience. If it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. Right. And I, I mean that with, you know, if it's too good to be true, do extra due diligence. Do more because you need to confirm whether this is correct or not. I've been there. I've done it. I've done it on a big scale. and I've lost lots of money because something was too good to be true. And I was like, oh, I need to get in. And what normally happens is too good to be true is merged with scarcity. You've got to do it now. It's going to be gone tomorrow. So you go oh, and you do it and you get excited and you do it. And it, even me as a tempo personality, I, I get excited. Oh, I did it. Right. If it's too good to be true, take a breath. That that couples in with number one one B advice, which is mm-hmm. the opportunities will always be here. There is no one opportunity that's going to, oh my God, if I don't buy Bitcoin right now, I'm going to be poor for the rest of my life. If you don't buy Bitcoin right now and you miss it and you think you should have bought it, there'll be another opportunity for you to buy something else tomorrow, next year, then the year after, whatever. Life is long and it's there's enough time for you to do whatever you need to do. Don't jump into stuff. Fantastic. Very good advice. Shiv, that was brilliant. How can people contact you if they want to make use of your services? I know you do a bit of coaching as well. Yeah, so you can find us at www.lifestylepropertypeople.co.uk. You can also find me on Facebook, ShivHaria1. So facebook.com forward slash ShivHaria1 and Instagram, Shiv underscore Haria. Fantastic, fantastic. We'll put those in the show notes as well. Shiv, always a pleasure. Give my regards to Jaina. Thank you. Congratulations on the growth of your business and you survived and grown through the pandemic. We'll catch up soon. Thanks again. Shiv, how are you? Cheers. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if so, please hit subscribe and share with those who you think would enjoy it too. To get in touch with Paul and Amanda directly, please visit their website, www.essentialpropertyoptions.co.uk for more information. We look forward to sharing with you on the next episode.